0: Hey, listeners, after five babies, I've changed a lot of diapers, and I have opinions about them. A lot of people think Pampers Cruisers 360 are best to use when your baby is older. But in my experience, they're the best diapers to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. That's because these diapers don't have ordinary diaper tabs. They have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby who just can't stop moving, just slide on to apply, rip the sides to remove, and roll everything up with the disposal tape on the back. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, and just got even better with a new blowout barrier. And since these diapers stretch with your baby, your active baby can move all over the place, getting into everything as usual. Pampers Cruisers 360 are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand.
1: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury.
0: Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of four, an author, journalist, and speaker.
3: And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of two and soon to be three and a practicing physician. We are two working parents who love our careers and our
0: families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, We want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura, and this is episode 21. We're mostly talking New Year's resolutions today with our guest for the main segment, Gretchen Rubin. We're very excited to have her on, so we'll get to that in a minute. But first... Sarah and I are both really into New Year's resolutions, as we'll learn later talking with Gretchen, that is a clear sign of upholders, which we both are. Did you set New Year's resolutions for 2017, Sarah? You're about to tell me that you didn't, right?
3: Well, actually, I tend to do monthly goals and habits. So I think it's almost it's not like I don't do yearly. It's like, no, that's not even
0: enough. (laughs) That's for amateurs.
3: (laughs) So I've got to do it 12 times a year. No, seriously, I used to set like anywhere between 10 and 15 resolutions per year. But I found myself losing track or then sort of being sad in June if I like had left some behind. So I found it actually works better for me to um, select um, le- fewer but do sort of a reevaluation on a monthly basis. And I also do separate my goal resolutions. So maybe that would be like read three books and my habit resolutions, which would be like spend 20 minutes reading a day. So um, So broken down. But I love, I love resolutions and I love reading and hearing about other people's resolutions. (laughs) Tell me about yours.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So of course I make them right. It would be like sacrilege to write about productivity and not set resolutions. Although I I make them in sort of a different way. Like you, I, I guess I felt like yearly wasn't enough or <laughs> wasn't as, as granular as wanted to be. So I, a couple of years ago, I started setting quarterly resolutions. I got this great idea from um, a woman named Angela Gia Kim, who some of our readers may have followed the various Savor the Success um, sort of stuff. She runs a business called Savor the Success. But anyway, she shared this idea of doing quarterly resolutions. I was like, well, I really like that idea because 90 days is short enough that you feel like you've done something at the end of it, but it's also, you know, you can stretch your goals out through the year. Um, Instead of saying, oh, I'm going to tackle all of them at New Year's. It's like, well, I can do, you know, four different quarters. Like each one, I have something to focus on. And then because I'm me, I decided to do three for each quarter, one career goal, one relationship goal, one personal goal. And so, it's, uh, you know, it's 12, just like you with the monthly kind of resolutions, but but just broken up in a slightly different way.
3: No, that's awesome. Oh, I don't just have 12. I have like multiple per month. But,
0: <laughs> but I like your,
3: I like your system. And I actually, I agree with sort of like separating them. Like I'll have work ones, which are very separate from my life ones. And they're both really important to me. Best of both worlds. Hello. But they definitely, they don't overlap at all.
0: Yeah. And and so of your monthly habits and goals in 2017, do you think you've hit most of them?
3: I would say I would I've hit maybe like sixty or seventy percent of them. There are definitely some that have been elusive for me and some that I'll revisit each time. Like, you know, we've talked about it in technology, but spending more time than I'd like on my phone is like it keeps kind of like it's perennial. Like (laughs) like I stamp it down and it springs up again. And I will say, like almost every year I really focus on flossing, but then I got pregnant and I like could not floss while pregnant. Like those two things just so the pregnancy did make me a little bit less apt to keep some of the resolutions I might have kept otherwise. But I think I did pretty well. What about you?
0: I, I did pretty good this year. I've I shifted a few of the goals. So I feel like it's okay. You know, It doesn't have to be exact in the sense of I'm, I'm flexible about am I achieving sort of the same aims by by different means. And so for instance, one of my goals for Q1 was to do speed work. And I set a certain goal of doing a Kind of speed work in my running, and then I decided to set this different goal of running every day, and I kept that. Uh, and And I feel like many of the same good things happened by doing that that I would have done through speed work. So I think that was okay. Um, and and some I just went a little bit crazier on. Like I had a goal for Q three um, career to read a book a week. Um, just you know, as a writer, it's good to read. Lots of other stuff, and I was not reading as many books as I wanted to be reading. And so I was like, "Oh, well, I could set the goal to read a book a week," and I kind of blew through that. It's been a bit of a crazy year on the on the reading front. Yeah, you did amazing on that front. So I guess pretty good. I'm, and now I'm now I'm thinking about what I'm going to do for 2018. I, I haven't.
3: I need to know. Is the running streak? going to stay alive. Uh, you
0: know, it's, it's funny because we're talking to, uh, I mentioned, we're talking to Gretchen Rubin later in this episode. And she, one of the things she talks about with upholders is that we're subject to this sort of tightening impulse. Yep. And uh, <laughs> I said, I wanted to run every day for a year. And I'm pretty sure at this point, I mean, you know, knock on wood, I could get injured or something, but knock on wood, I probably will at this point. Cause it, you know, when we're, we're nearing the end of the year, you will. You but definitely will. Um, then I'm like, well, I could just keep going. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm going to run every day for the rest of my life. I don't know. Maybe I will. Um, I probably won't. I mean, the streak will end at some point, but yeah, we'll see. So stay tuned. We'll report back in 2018 on how the running streak is going. So we are so excited to welcome Gretchen Rubin to the program. Gretchen is the host of the Happier podcast, the author of several best selling books, including The Happiness Project, and most recently, The Four Tendencies. She is also the mom of two girls, including one who is now off at college, I believe, right, yeah. Gretchen? So that's at the other end of the parenting spectrum from Sarah and I right now. Sarah is expecting her third child in early December. So we are we we've got cradle to yeah. college represented here. But um, so we're we're gonna be talking mostly New Year's resolutions and the four tendencies. We have a somewhat uncommon situation here in that we have three upholders chatting uh so so for the half dozen listeners of ours who perhaps have not read your books uh can you can you tell everyone what an upholder is and and you know tell us briefly about the the four attendants yes
2: um yes it's very unusual to have three upholders together so this is our heads are going to explode um So this this has to do with this personality framework that I came up with uh, called the four tendencies that divides the world into four categories of people, upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels, according to how you uh, meet an expectation. And we all face two kinds of expectations, outer expectations like a work deadline or a request from a friend, and we have inner expectations, our own desire to keep a New Year's resolution, our, our own desire to write a novel in our free time. So, upholders, which is what the three of us are, uh, readily meet outer and inner expectations. We meet the work deadline, we keep the New Year's resolution, without that much fuss. We want to know what others expect from us, but expectations for ourselves are just as important. Next, questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So, in a way, they make everything an inner expectation. If it meets their inner standard, they will do it. If it fails their inner standard, they will resist it. And typically they don't like anything arbitrary, inefficient, irrational. Then there are obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So this is a friend of mine who told me, I don't understand it. When I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? Well, when she had a team and a coach waiting for her, she had no trouble going. But when she's just trying to go running on her own, it's a struggle. And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They wanna do what they wanna do in their own way, in their own time. If you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. And typically they don't even like to tell themselves what to do. So in brief, those are the four.
0: So are upholders actually rare?
2: Yes, well, the the, the rarest tendency is the rebel tendency. Uh, it's a very conspicuous tendency, but it's, it's small. And upholders only slightly larger. So these are the two kind of extreme personality types. Um, and they're small. The biggest tendency for both men and women, the one that the largest number of people belong to is obliger and after that questioner. So, yeah, it's unusual that you would have a group of three people where they'd all be upholders.
3: So interesting. I wonder if we're just more inclined to. Make podcasts. Well, you know what it is? I think upholders
2: <laughs> often are attracted. They, they are good at achieving things and like and ha- coming up with processes and forming good habits. And they think, well, this works for me. So if everybody will just do what I do, it would work for me. And the fact is they think it's because they have a good system. But the thing is, any system works for an upholder. And this is something <laughs> to keep in mind if you're developing a curriculum or you're managing a team or you're designing a device. Basically, anything is going to work with an upholder because they're good at that kind of thing. The question is, how do you get the other three tendencies to come on board?
0: Yeah. And there's some downsides to the upholding tendency, too. I thought since we have three upholders on the phone, (laughs) we might all share one of the craziest upholder (laughs) things we ever did, which I'll go first here because um, alert readers of the four tendencies may have noticed an anonymous anecdote. (laughs) Um,
3: I actually saw that in the book and I didn't know it was you until you until I, I, the know, I know like, what oh it. Oh my is. god.
2: Yeah, this is crazy. <laughs> yes. yep. Tell your story. So it says
0: an upholder friend told me this is Gretchen writing here, but it says, On my way to the hospital to give birth, I told my husband not to speed and I insisted that he park in the correct lot, even though I wound up giving birth less than 20 minutes after we pulled in, which is true. <laughs> that, that did happen just as, just as that went down. Sarah, you're, you're kind of a militant about your running schedule, aren't you?
3: Yeah, I'm militant. I'm militant about my schedule in general, I would say, but I would say my running and I'm not a streaker like you, but like that n- analogy that Gretchen used, it's like the total opposite for me. Like I am going to fit it in no matter what. And it annoys, my friends and family around me I'm sure but whatever
0: <laughs> it just is what and it is. And how about you Gretchen? Lack of um, flexibility. Well
2: I am one of these crazy low carb eaters and I really just won't eat things that have sugar, flour, pasta, starchy vegetables and you know you could bake me a birthday cake and hand deliver it to me and I'm like yeah I don't eat that um, And and to me I get a lot of fun out of just like sticking to it absolutely um, but i think our three anecdotes show something that's another um aspect that it can be a downside of being an upholder is that we can sometimes seem cold to other people because it's like well we've got company this weekend what do you mean you have to go for your run and you're like yeah i gotta go for my run whether we have company or not or it's like well i don't care that you handmade this banana bread. I'm not going to eat it, you know? And it's like, to us, that seems appropriate and like fulfilling our inner expectations. But to other tendencies, that can sometimes read as cold.
0: Yes, or crazy. Or crazy. I, I yes. Don't... It can <laughs> seem crazy. some flack about the fact that I run every yep. day, which means every day. Yeah. Not not five times a week. It means every <laughs> yeah. day. But anyway, <laughs> that's uh um so we're we're talking New Year's resolutions today and, and New Year's resolutions are one of those classic upholder things because Gretchen in your four tendency quiz you actually ask about New Year's resolutions and that's one of the signs
2: of an upholder, right? Well and it's it's really a sign of all the tendencies because the question isn't do you keep them? It's how do you feel about them? Because the pollers typically will say like, I like New Year's resolutions and I make them, or I might make them during the year. Like they like them, they're good at them. Um, questioners will, are, will often like talk about the arbitrariness of January 1st. They're like, well, I would keep a resolution when it made sense to me. I wouldn't wait for January 1st because January 1st is an arbitrary date. Like, why would you wait? What, there's no, there's, that's, that, that, that is an inefficient thing and, and it's an arbitrary date obligers will often say, you know what, I don't make New Year's resolutions anymore because I've let myself down so many times. I've made and fit, made them and failed to keep them so long I don't even do it anymore. And rebels, they might do it if they thought it was fun. A lot of times rebels will like a challenge, so they might do it as a challenge. But they also might be like, well, why would I bind myself? I don't know what I'm going to want to do. I might not feel like running tomorrow, so I'm not going to resolve that I'm going to run because who knows what I'll feel like doing.
0: So, Gretchen, uh, since New Year's resolutions are something that upholders tend to do, I mean, do you make them? Did you make any for 2017 that you've been working on this year? Well, you
2: know, the thing is, for the last, like, eight or nine years, I'm basically making resolutions all the time nonstop. So I don't really make New Year's resolutions in the traditional way. But what I often do, and I did it for 2017, is I'll pick, like, a one-word theme for the year that then I try to live up to or I try to have it shape because I'm basically making resolutions and trying resolutions as part of my writing and as part of my research and as part of my podcasting all the time. So I'm just like a rolling stone of uh, gathering resolutions, I guess.
0: <laughs> gathering resolutions. Yeah. As you go. So that's how you're thinking about it for next year then, too? Or are you coming up with a, year, a theme for next year or – like yeah, that. I might
2: have the same theme for last year as I did for this year, um, which is repurposing. I need to repurpose stuffs because um, I've I've done some repurposing, but I have more repurposing that I can do. Um, so that's going to be my theme.
0: It's the thing, if you've been blogging for years, you got to st- keep
2: repurposing yes. the content. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
0: well, so should people who aren't upholders though, should they even try to make New Year's resolutions, or is or is that going to be just a cause of? Unhappy well, I think
2: the thing is, make a New Year's resolution if it's something that appeals to you and feels like it's going to work for you. So if you're a questioner and you're like, why would I make a New Year's resolution? There's no magic to New Year's resolution if it doesn't have magic to you. I think for a lot of people, there's something very auspicious about starting the first day of the year with something. And it's a catalyst for self-reflection, you know, just like your birthday is or, you know, an important anniversary in your life. So I think they can be useful to you if you find it useful. But if you kind of think, oh, gosh, just the idea of a New Year's resolution seems stupid to me, don't force yourself to do it because there's there's nothing magical about it. If you are an obliger who wants to make a New Year's resolution, but you're afraid you're going to let yourself down again, here is the secret. This is the magic answer to obligers who are frustrated because they can't meet their inner expectations. They have to create outer accountability. So if you want to read more, join a book group. If you're my friend who could go running with a track team, it's like join a class and work out with a teacher or work out with a trainer or work out with a friend who's going to be annoyed if you don't show up or figure out some other kind of outer accountability because that's what allows obligers to to, to follow through. If you don't have that outer accountability, if it's just an inner expectation, then typically obligers will not succeed. So if you're going to do it, do it in a way that set yourself up for success. You know, I think a lot of times people set themselves up the way that works for someone else, and then they're frustrated when it doesn't work for them. And same thing with a rebel. You might say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to go this whole year and not have one drink of alcohol, and it's going to be amazing, and nobody thinks I can, and I'm going to blow them away and just watch me. That could be exciting and fun for a rebel. But if it's not, um, don't assume that there's something wrong with you or that you should do something because everybody says you should. And it's like, well, these things work for some people some of the time. They don't work for everybody all the time.
0: So it sounds like rebels need to have a foil to sort of throw themselves against, as in, like, oh, my. My friend says I'll never succeed, so I'll show him.
2: Well, that can work. That often can work with rebels. Um, and, uh, you, you know, and and there's sort of a question that people ask me, like, is it manipulative to say things like that to a rebel if you're trying to, like, ignite their spirit of resistance in a positive way? Um, but also rebels can do kind of the opposite for themselves. They can set themselves a challenge like that or kind of tap into that all show them energy. But they can also tap into their identity because putting your identity forth into the world is very important for rebels. So it's sort of like, well, um, I'm, you know, I'm an athlete. I've always been an athlete. You know, and what do athletes do? Athletes exercise. Comes come snow or come rain. You know, I'm an athlete and athlete exercises or I'm a performer and what do performers do? Performers practice. I need, you know, I, I choose to practice regularly because I'm a performer. I want to put my stuff out into the world. Um, and this is how I'm going to do the kind of work that I want to do, and I want to show what I'm capable of. So it's sort of either identity or, or yeah, kind of like, yeah, you can't tell me what to do. I'll show you.
0: So speaking as an upholder here, uh, with you as well, I, somebody wrote on my blog, I was writing about one of my crazy upholder habits, you know, be it running daily or reading or whatever it was, and the commenter said something along the lines of, well, it's easy for you to do that because you're an upholder, and I actually kind of bristled a bit at that because I'm like, well, I'm still the one who set my alarm for four 30 to get up and run on the day when I was traveling all day. I didn't think that was
2: easy. Mm -hmm. I just
0: did it. So do you think it's easy or do you think it's just something else? I think it
2: comes more easily. I think it does come more easily. I think other tendencies would, would have different issues with that. Um, and You know, and and merely the fact that you're doing it kind of shows that that whatever it is that that a person needs, that is what you have. And most people don't experience that. And I think as a we're like, well, if other people would just like make a to do list, set their alarm, go to bed on time, they could do it, too. It's like, yeah, well, they don't. Right. Like, what is the common experience of mankind? The common experience of mankind is that. That's not enough for most people. So what so what's missing? Yeah. And I also think the problem, one of the issues that people have with upholders is that we're not saying this, but they may think to themselves the obliger, the questioner, the rebel. They might think, like, well, if she can do it, what's wrong with me? I, must. There must be something wrong with me. I must lack willpower. I must lack self-control. Um, I must not be able to make time for myself. I must not be able to set my priorities correctly. I must be lazy. Um, and so to those folks, I say it's totally expected that something would come easily for Laura and that wouldn't come easily for you, or that something would come easily for your coworker that wouldn't come easily for you, or something came easily to you in college that isn't coming easily to you now for reasons that we can understand. There's nothing wrong with you. You don't need to change. You know, you're you're not lazy. It's just that you need to have circumstances set up in a way that are gonna allow you to achieve your aims. So you might need a different kind of infrastructure or explanation than someone like Laura or Sarah or Gretchen would need to achieve the same aim.
3: And, you know, actually listening to your podcast and reading your books has made me think about that in others and to maybe be a little bit more sympathetic than I would have been before. And it's interesting, you know, the running analogy, again, my husband is a very talented runner. Um, I'm not, but I'm like disciplined. And it it, it, for years, he actually kind of like put it to the side, not because he's an oblogger. I think he's definitely a questioner, but because he didn't like have like a reason, you know, and it's only been since he sort of set very specific goals. Oh, I want to get this much faster by the time I'm this age, because I want to do this, um, that he's been able to be successful. And it's not that he's lazy or couldn't do it before. It was just like he needed to frame it in a very different way. So, I mean, I've found your your framework to work really well in helping me be more. Well, yeah, I think it, it definitely hard.
2: gives you an idea of how people could see something. You have a perspective and how people might view a situation in a different way or face different kinds of challenges. Um, I'm married to a questioner too. Um, and it's like the minute he makes up his mind, he can do anything he wants. But until he makes up his mind, he's not going to do it. And that used to sort of drive me crazy. Um, but now I'm like, that's, it has, I don't have to take it personally. It's nothing to do with me. This is the way he is with everybody in the world. Um, so just like, let him go about his business, his way. Let him do his research Very, and,
0: and,
3: <laughs> any tricks any tricks that you've learned in that particular pairing that i can harness the future when it comes yeah. to household I'll, management I'll give, you, or... I'll give you an
2: example of something that just happened so there was this boring bureaucratic burn that we had to fill out in a true upholder fashion i was like let me just go ahead and do this and get this crossed off our list so we don't have to think about it so i'll fill it out being the good soldier that i am this is why it's nice to be married to an upholder so i'm filling it out and it asked me for his work address so i call him and i say Hey Jamie, what's your work address? And what does he say to me? Why do you want to know? And before, before <laughs> I knew about the four tendencies, I think I would have said something like, does everything have to be a discussion? Can't you just answer a simple question? Here I am filling out this form and you're just like slowing me down. I just want to get it done. <laughs> what does this mean about our marriage? But now I'm like, he's a questioner. And what I should have said is, Hey Jamie, I'm filling out that boring bureaucratic form. What's your work address? Because all he wants to know is, why should I tell you? Why do you want to know? Why? Just tell me why. Or like, I want you to do that. Uh, like, or like, he he. A, w- a weird thing about questioners. I don't know if you've noticed this in your husband, but a lot of questioners don't like ask answering questions. This is ironic and deeply annoying. But they don't like answering questions. And my husband really manifests this pattern. He will not answer questions, um, and it's, it, it like makes me crazy. But I've learned that if I give him a reason about why I'm asking, I'm much more likely to get an answer. Like what time, like instead of saying, like, what time are we going to brunch? Because he won't tell me. I know it makes him sound like a big jerk. He just won't tell me. But if I said, what time are we going to brunch? Because I'm wondering whether I have time to go to the gym. Then he would tell me because then he understands why I'm asking. But he won't just tell me because I want to know embedding, the the embedding reasons. your reasons and like, um, I love it. can we clean the basement this weekend because we're having people over in two weeks and we're going to need to um store the bicycles there um okay that makes sense because you might say to a a, a a questioner we need to clean out the basement and they're thinking why do we need to clean out the basement and we we don't we never use the basement like that's a big waste of our time like why would i do that um this comes up a lot with children questioner children often are perceived by teachers and coaches and adults as being um, disrespectful or stubborn or like not, you know, not go- getting with the program, because they're like, well, why would I learn how to write cursive if I'm just going to use my laptop for the rest of my life? Why do I have to learn the multiplication tables if I can look it up in my phone? Why, you know, why do I have to learn about ancient Mesopotamia? There are there are qu- answers to these questions, and a questioner child is going to do much better if you explain yeah, I know this, bo- this book report seems really boring to you and like you, I know you've read the book, so why should you have to do this book? This is really teaching you these important skills and this is why we ask fourth graders to do this because it's going to actually, this is why the, you're, you're being asked to do this assignment because if they think it's dumb, they're not going to want to do it. If they understand why they're being asked to do something, they're much more likely to follow along.
0: As an upholder, I'm not sure I want to clean out the basement either, but that's a, <laughs> a different matter. I found, I made my husband uh, take... The Four Tendencies quiz the other day and I got quite a surprise. Ooh. Yes, I would have pegged him as either a questioner or possibly even a rebel. And the answer was obliged. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> to unpack that one. I still haven't fully unpacked that, but uh
3: do some obligers not necessarily oblige to their most like intimate inner family circle because so it's say, like if that's i'm married more like to an
0: obliger shouldn't he be that's
2: a very interesting question well it's actually quite romantic because what it, to an obliger right they meet outer expectations but they struggle to meet inner expectations and really with their sweetheart or spouse they're like honey i'm going to ignore you just the way i would ignore me because you're so close to me you're like me so you're inner <laughs> Okay, that is a
0: very nice way of yeah.
2: putting it. <laughs> so often, obliger, like a, a sweetheart spot, doesn't make a good accountability partner, and they will be ignored. So, and, and this can be fluid. So, like, I have a friend who's an obliger who's a, the greatest guy of all time, like terrific, terrific guy. And and he will do anything that his wife asks unless, it, unless his children are asking him to do something, in which case he will meet what his children want. And then he'll do anything that his children want unless his client needs something. And then it's everything for the client. Like, he literally has a picture of himself on the phone closing a deal while his wife is in the hospital giving a baby, having a baby. And so it's like anything for the client. So whatever is most outer will take – precedent and so that is moving depending on a situation so you might have like a wife who will oblige her husband unless they have guests over in which case she'll ignore her husband and do what the guests want because they're more outer so this is something to really think about if you're an obliger you're dealing with an obliger which is what is the form of accountability that's going to work because it really varies dramatically among obligers some obligers can be accountable to their sweetheart some obligers can be accountable to like an imaginary thing like uh, future Gretchen doesn't go, do, will want to go – will wish that I had gone for a run. So now Gretchen has to do it because I don't want to disappoint future Gretchen. So that's like an imaginary kind of outer accountability to myself. It's amazing that obligers can use that. Some obligers can use money, like I'm going to pay for a class. Some obligers, though, it doesn't matter to them if they've paid money. They're almost like, well, if I paid, it, it's like as good as going. So in that case, don't Yeah, you have to pay attention to what actually is good. Or like some obligers could feel accountable to an auto reminder through an app. Like, don't forget to take your blood pressure medication. That would remind them. Other obligers, they would just ignore that. It doesn't feel like real accountability to them. So you have to be very aware of what's going to trip that valuable sense of outer, uh, outer accountability for you.
0: All right. Well, I'll, I'll view it in that light. That would be a much more charitable way to view it. <laughs> but it's because we're so close that, he's, that he can ignore me. So we wanted to pivot a little bit more. To We always like talking about schedules and, and work-life combinations and how we make it work on this podcast because we are the best of both worlds, people who... Enjoy their families and enjoy their work too. So what what does your normal workday schedule look like these days, Gretchen? Well, I
2: think you all will feel my pain because as an upholder, of course, I would prefer that every day unfolded exactly the same and like the life of a Benedictine monk sounds incredibly enticing to me, where like it's very like everything has its place and it's on the calendar and everything gets done. Um, But I have my days vary widely. Um, I always get up at 6 a.m. no matter what. Um, I walk my dog. And then I do what a lot of um, productivity experts tell you not to do, which is I begin my day. And I'm a morning person, so my morning is when I'm at my most creative and productive. But I can't do anything until I've gone through my email and social media. So I do that. Then I will walk with my daughter to school and then I either exercise or, you know, do interviews or plan my podcast or do writing. I, every day has to be slotted in differently depending on what's happening that day, which does kind of drive me crazy.
3: But I bet you plan ahead for oh. it. It's probably an elaborate
2: Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, and I think one thing that um, I think comes as a surprise to a lot of people is that upholders are actually very good at taking time for themselves because to them, the the duty to yourself is just as important as duty to others. And if something is on the schedule, you'll do it. So if I'm like, I'm going to read on the couch for four hours on Saturday, like that's as important to me as going to a dentist appointment. You know, like I'm going to do that. And they did this interesting study on Facebook looking at people who who are highly conscientious, which I think were upholders. Um, and they found that they had a very high incidence of using words like weekend and leisure and fun, and that wasn't surprising to me because I'm like upholders are good at that. Obligers are the ones that have trouble taking time for themselves, and they have to use outer accountability even to take time for themselves.
0: So, do you plan your weekends ahead of time?
2: Um, i don't have an idea of what like what I want to happen, but yeah, like I know what I'm doing. I'm going to be doing at any particular time. Yep, absolutely.
0: I wonder, you know, I'm I'm skipping around in our questions here slightly, but uh, one thing Sarah brought brought up earlier: is your children are on the older end of the scale. scale, You know, certainly since the time of when you wrote the Happiness Project uh, that you write about your baby, uh, who is now, I'm saying, like a teenager. Yeah. So, has things changed in terms of how you schedule your time and make your work and life work together now that your kids are much older? Has has that changed a lot for you? I think
2: the biggest difference is the degree to which their daily schedule influences my daily schedule so their school schedule still influences my schedule what's when is when are they on spring break when do they have um holiday winter break when is their summer like that still has a big thing but like um i remember i saw anna quinlan speak and she said that and she's like you know in her 60s she said she still stops writing every day at three fifteen because for so many years her kids would walk in the door and then that was the end of her work day. And she said, she now it's like her brain just shuts off at 3.15, even though she doesn't have kids coming back. And so one thing is like the day just feels a lot looser because like one of my daughters is in college and the other one is in seventh grade. So she can walk home by herself and she can like manage herself. Um, I don't have to make sure that she's covered in some way or like, you know, who's picking her up, what's happening. I know that she can take care of herself. Uh, we live very close to school. So for us, that's like a nine block walk. So it's, um, and so that, that's kind of a, a, um, or like she can walk to school by herself. So like, if I wanted to do an 8am interview, I could do like, I'm, am talking to somebody in the UK. So if we want to do it really early in the morning. I can do that and just say to her, oh, honey, you're just going to walk to school by yourself today. And she's like, okay, that's fine. So it just gives me a lot more, um, give in my schedule in my daily schedule.
0: Yeah. And another thing we wanted to ask you about, um, I know you spent a lot of time on the road, uh, since the happiness project came out in 2010, speaking at a lot of conferences, I've yes. been um, fortunate to see you as we hit a couple of them. It's been great. Uh, but do you have any tips, any tips for working parents who do need to travel a lot for work things that sort of keep you going with your own productivity, um, managing family life at the same time? Yeah, that is
2: really, that is really a challenge. And again, that's easier when your children are older because I used to have to make practically like hour by hour schedules for everybody, you know, while I was gone. Um, One thing I would say just in terms of like making time for yourself, one thing that I uh, – a a rule that I picked up from a friend of mine that I love is when I'm traveling, like while I'm in transit, I only read for fun. I don't do any work. I don't do email. I don't do anything. I just read for fun. So I get a lot of really fun reading done while I'm traveling, and it makes traveling much more pleasant. So I – like once I'm there – I'll do email and work um, in a hotel room or wherever I am, but I don't do it like while I'm in the hotel, while I'm in the airport, or while I'm flying. And that I love that. You know, I think it's hard. I'd be curious about your experiences. I think it's hard to really be at top efficiency while traveling. And I've and every every I've had so many book tours and I travel all the time. And I'm always like, I'm just sitting in a hotel room. Why can't I focus the way I can focus at home? And somehow I just. Can't seem to turn that time into as efficient time as I can at home. So I'm I'm sort—I always I'm trying to figure out how to make the best use of that time.
3: Well, it's funny. One of our recent guests who's a um, genetics professor is the exact opposite of you in that she says she works her, she does a lot of international travel, so very long flights and such. She's like, I work my butt off on the plane and then I relax when I get there because I feel like I did all my all the essential work. When I in, in. So I guess that just means... No, and I, I think that's a styles. really important
2: point, which is that, and I, and I think this is so true in habits and happiness and the four tendencies, everything. There is no one right way. There's no one best way. There's no magic, one size fits all solution because we're all different. And so It's sort of like, like for me working while traveling wasn't working very well. And so somebody said, try this. And I'm like, well, this works much better for me. So if something's not working. Try something else. Like, don't keep saying, I could have kept saying to myself, like, I should be more efficient. Like I should really buckle down. But I'm like, you know what? It's not a good time for me to be doing this. I'm going to do something else that's also a very high value to me. And so now I'm going to get it into my life in a different way that works much better. And so that's a great example of exactly the opposite could work for you. You know, and it's worth experimenting if if something's not working.
0: Well, I'm going to take my permission from that from Gretchen to uh, read for fun on the plane. I was feeling bad about it, too. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm going to have to be okay with it. So, Gretchen, we have this segment um, at at the end of our main segment every time where we do our love of the week. So we're hoping we can keep you for like two more minutes while we, we do our love of the week. So mine is... Uh, I'll guess travel related with that I'm gonna say the Amtrak quiet oh, car love that. Do, you, do you go on the Amtrak quiet? Love it. Love it. <laughs> I, I thought you would <laughs> because otherwise I feel like when I'm not the quiet car because it's a full train or whatever I'm always sitting next to some jerk who wants to call absolutely everybody he knows in the course of like a trip from Philadelphia to New York and I'm sitting next to him listening to him talk about like you know really scintillating stuff and I go crazy so quiet car all the way Sarah what do you have this week
3: well, that has nothing to do with travel, but it is timely as this episode's going to air right around the new year. And my love of the week is the tradition of doing family photo calendars as a gift. And maybe by putting this in this podcast, it'll mean I'll have mine done because it's a little bit of a race since I'm due in like three weeks. And, uh, you know, I don't know how, how much I'll have my stuff together in December to do it. But anyway, it brings me so much joy to give it to people and to see my family members every month. So that's my love of the All
0: right,
2: week. Gretchen, how about you? My love of the week is I just discovered a novelist that I love, that I had never heard of. And somebody was like, you got to read the novels of Scarlett Thomas. And I was like, okay. So I read one, and like I, I'm going through every single one of her novels. Um, and it's rare that you're, there's somebody who you really want to read every single book they've written. And she's also wrote, wrote a book about writing called... Um, Monkeys with typewriters or typewriters with monkeys. I can't remember. And I bought that, too, though I haven't read that um, because I'm so entranced by her fiction. But I'm just so excited to have a new author to discover. And she's kind of like, uh, if you like 10th of December or Cloud Atlas, I would say she's kind of in that vibe and really, really good. So um, that has made me very happy.
0: Okay, we're writing that one down. We always love book recommendations. Yes. Well, Gretchen, thank you so much for being willing to be interviewed by us. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's so much
2: fun. I never get to talk to two upholders. This is great.
0: (laughs) <laughs> we started yeah. I know, the yeah. <laughs> And the funny thing is, just for our listeners, so you know, we scheduled this at three o'clock that we would have our call, and by two fifty-five or something, we
2: were all on the line.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. We can all
3: that is, despite technical difficulties. Had, yep,
2: we made it. We were <laughs> <all there. laughs> if you'd sent me an email by like, hey, can it be at 30 I would have been like, what? We were supposed to be three. Oh, how can I change at the last minute? We already decided. Yeah, so (laughs) flexibility is not our strong suit, but we will show up when we said we'll show up. Not at all. No. Exactly.
3: Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you so much. This has been, I mean, if you could have told me I would have been on this podcast doing this with both of you five years ago, I would have been floored. So so thank you again so much. All right, it's time for our listener Q&A segment. We got one from Nikki this week, and that is, Another child care question, very popular topic around here. What are your systems processes for onboarding and training new child care providers, particularly people you'll be using more occasionally, not daily or even weekly? So do you want to go first?
0: Sure. I think we probably do pretty much the same thing. Um, you know, I've had a lot of sort of occasional date night sitters over the years and uh, it. it it depends if they come through a personal referral, like if it's a personal referral, then probably the first few steps aren't necessary, but you know, I do a phone interview with them. I ask for references. I call their references. If everything checks out, I have them come over and um, sit for the kids while I'm there. And uh, you know, for like an hour or so just while I'm in the house, so we can see how it's going. If all seems to be going well. Um, And if it does, then I might have them come back later, you know, to Sit a little longer than, you know, when I leave the house for a little bit, you know, I'm paying them for all this time that they're sitting because it's basically a babysitting job. It's just that, you know, I haven't committed to anything yet. Um, So it's a little low stakes way to start. How about you?
3: Yeah, I've definitely done that. And, you know, instead of even thinking of it as a trial, just sort of thinking of it as like, oh, well, I get some mother's helper time to see if this works. So I could maybe like work out at home while they're here, sort of do things where I can observe, but not be, you know, completely involved and then answer questions. Um, and then move to actual real sessions. I do, I would do have to say, now that like my oldest can talk and tell me things, I feel less anxious about babysitters in general than I did when they were like nonverbal. And you're like, I don't know what's going on. Like Annabelle would tell me, you know? So I do think as your kids get older, that it might be a little bit easier, but I I do think the sort of trial run while while you're there is very, very helpful. And the few times that I've gotten people off of, I actually haven't done it that much. I've been lucky enough to find referrals after we found our nanny from care.com. We've mostly found everybody else socially, but if I You know, when you do get them off of a website, so important not to just even email the references, call them. You want to actually hear with their voices and to make sure it's not like actually their mom with a fake email address. Like you don't know. So to actually speak with references um, to hear about the person that's going to be with your kids.
0: Yeah. And and then just trying them out is, you know, you see a lot in person as well about how it's going to go. And that's probably a good way to ease into it. Well, this has been Best of Both Worlds, episode 21. We've mostly been talking New Year's resolutions with Gretchen Rubin. Turn in next week when we'll be back for more on making work and life fit together.
3: Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram.
0: And you can find me, Laura, at com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together.
1: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 infinity QX 80 live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York city.